Greetings, greetings, greetings. So today we're getting into chapter 18 of A Benny's Song by P. Jelly Clark. Last chapter, chapter 17, they resolved a huge, well, discovered a solution to a major portion of the issues that they're trying to resolve. And that is where the missing children are. They're held captive as monsters by the witch priest's magic. That red gemstone that hangs around the monster's neck also holds the missing children captive and they're working for the witch priest's peon, the goat man. So everything they went through helped them find the solution because even though you can make a plan, you don't know all the different variables. So they just, you know, they kept forging ahead in courage and support of each other. And most of all, belief that this was, well, Abeni's belief because the spirits are there to support her. So Abeni's belief that she's supposed to be doing this. Everything that happened to her during this journey since she had to leave her village and her people were stolen away, everything, her training with the old woman and Obi, her the magic bag that she has, her experiences with the scrying pot, um, everything, even what she learned in the veil about herself and the different trials and tribulations she's gone through leading up to the moment where she was ready, willing, and able to face monsters and believe in a good possibility that she would overcome and make it out alive. And so, yeah, everything has led her up to this moment. And now they have this information. This red stone is the secret to freeing the children of night and all of the missing children. So let's get into chapter 18, Bloodstone. Abeni stalked angrily through the night the others trailing behind. Her mind was a jumble. Images of Asha swallowed by that dark pit, the monsters, the goat man, and now she glanced back to the boy wrapped in torn crimson cloth who walked hand in hand with Danju. It was hard to believe he was the same monster that had chased her through the tunnels of the pit but she had seen it with her own eyes. They had all seen it. After his transformation, the boy just knelt there sobbing. Only Damju had moved. The rest of them were too numb. He had flinched from her touch, but as her hand closed around his own, he went still and lost some of his tension. Songu, she called him a boy from her village. He was near her age. The two had even played together. 
he had been stolen like the other children, taken by this wish song. No one knew what had happened to him or any of them until now. Abeni stared at the boy, still trying to make sense of what he had been. But nothing made sense anymore. Turning down a path, she glimpsed the bleak homes of the villagers ahead. It was still some time until dawn, but she had questions too urgent to wait. Walking through the stone wall, she reached the first of the houses and wrapped it hard with her staff. She did the same to the next and the one after that, making as much noise as possible. People began to appear, emerging from their homes, startled and frightened as if expecting the monsters that tormented them to appear. At seeing Abani and her friends, they seemed confused. When they saw Songu, they looked like they might faint. They huddled close, whispering. Finally, a familiar face ran forward. It was Damju's mother. At first, she looked at Abeni, not understanding what she was doing here. Then her eyes found her daughter, and they rounded. When they fell on the boy, she staggered like she was staring at someone returned from the dead. Songu, she asked. The boy didn't answer, hiding his face from the villagers. He doesn't talk, Mama, Tamju said. Not anymore. Abeni glanced to the boy, who remained as silent as stone. He hadn't spoken a word since changing back. He just stared at them with eyes that seemed empty. A familiar man pushed his way to the front of the crowd. Abeni remembered him, the one with white in his hair she thought was a chief, who had made them leave before. He scowled as he saw the girls again, but... When his eyes took in the boy, his steps faltered. Songu, Songu, Damju's mother repeated, tears in her eyes. She moved to touch him, then pulled back, instead clutching her hands together. How did you make your way back, Songu? How did you return? The boy remained quiet. Abeni stepped in. By removing this, she hadn't even bothered to bow or show proper respect to people more than twice her age. She was just angry. She reached into her bag, withdrawing the red stone that had sat about the boy's neck. The woman reached out trembling, fingers to touch it. It's warm, she said, almost alive. Abeni had felt the warmth of the thing already pulsing like a heartbeat. You told us the monsters appeared after your children were taken, she said loudly, but they weren't just taken, were they? Your children are the monsters. Beware the children of night. They become hidden in darkness. The words of the scrying pot had played in her head repeatedly since this revelation, and still, each time they struck with new meaning, these monsters were the children of night. They had been all along, the missing children hidden away in darkness right before their eyes. 
None of the villagers answered. Some looked away. Others put their faces in their hands and wept. Damju's mother, however, gave a weary nod. The man, like a chief, put a hand to quiet her, but she pushed it away. The time for silence and secrets is over, she said, meeting his stare. He gave her a disapproving look, but when he didn't move to offer a challenge, she turned back to the three girls. We didn't know at first, she said, but then the goat man told us who the monsters were. Our children changed by his sorcery, and we knew them then the way only a parent can. My brothers, Damju asked, lost in the night to darkness, her mother answered gravely. Damju's face took on a pained look, and she clutched Songu tight. These monsters are your very children, Zania said aghast. Abeni didn't think much phased the panther girl, but seeing the monster that had nearly killed them turn into a trembling boy had left her shaken. They whip and beat you? Force you to work? Your very children do this to you? Or worse, Damju's mother said. She glanced to Songu, who still wouldn't meet anyone's eyes. Then she turned back to the villagers. Komba, show them. At her words, someone shuffled forward and the small crowd parted to let him through. It was an old man whose bent body looked more bone than flesh. His mouth was drawn tight and he averted his gaze as he held up an arm with a missing hand. Before this blight came upon us, Komba had two hands, Damju's mother said. The other was taken as punishment. The goat man had his grandson commit the deed. Abeni and her companions gaped in fresh horror, unable to speak. He renames our children, changing them in body and spirit, the woman went on. This one... She turned to Songu. He is called Mosquito. The boy flinched at the name. He makes them do terrible things. Abeni forced herself to ask the next question. The other children this goat man takes, the ones he brings here, does he do the same thing to them? Damju's mother nodded, her look pitying. The friends you search for. He has already made them his own, like Songu, like my sons. Abeni's stomach went hollow. She had known already, but it was another thing to hear. Oh, for me, is this what's been done to you? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How can you live like this? Zania asked appalled. How can you allow this? Most shied away from the girl's questions, but the man, like a chief, spoke up. What would you have us do, he asked. Fight back, Zania growled. You would have us fight our own children, he asked evenly. We went to claim them from this goat man the very day he stole them away. 
when we saw it was our daughters and sons that stood against us, we dropped our swords and spears and wept. He has taken all we hold, precious. Abeni stood quiet. She had come here to accuse these villagers, to blame them for what had happened to Ashabat as she watched. Their hopeless faces, it was hard. She thought she'd never see anything as terrible as what had happened to her village, yet this competed even with that nightmare. What does this goat man want from you, she asked. Damju's mother reached into a slight fold in her tattered dress, drawing something out. Leaning forward, she opened her hand where a small rock sat in her palm. Much of it was clear enough to see right through. Other parts were dull brown or yellow. Many of the villagers gasped at the sight of it. Some turned their heads. The man, like a chief, scowled. You should not have taken that, he said in a low voice. He will know. We find him so many, she countered. How can he miss one? She returned to Arbeni. It looks like nothing now, but it's harder than almost anything. And when the goat man uses his magics to cut and polish it, he can make it shine like a star. Arbeni eyed the stone. I saw baskets of them in the tunnels. Damju's mother nodded. The goat man keeps them there, always guarded. Abeni glanced to Songu. She had met one of those guards tonight. A stone? Naomi asked, confused. The porcupine girl tilted her head to look at the thing upside down, as if that might bring understanding. This is the price of your children. A pretty stone, Damju's mother shrugged. Some must think it great, for the goat man sends them to the witch priest, who trades them for gifts of his own. Abeni stared at the bit of rock. How could so small a thing cause such suffering? And the iron monstrosity that would make music, Sonia said, you build this for him too? Yes, we find him iron to build his great horn. And you know what he intends with it, the panther girl asked. Damju's mother said nothing, looking down. Many villagers did the same. The horn you build is for the wish song, Abeni spoke loudly. If they didn't want to say it, she would make them hear. When it's complete, he'll be able to send its magic far past your village. It will call to other children in other villages. They'll become monsters too. This goat man isn't just trying to get more workers. He's building an army. We know what he intends, Damju's mother said in frustration, to steal children from other villages, but he has promised to free ours. Abeni stared at her in dismay. Yet she couldn't match Damju's disappointment. Mama, how can you do this to other people's children? It's wrong. The woman turned to look at her daughter, hurt and shame in her eyes. None of you can understand. You can't know what a mother or father would do to save a child. 
that Benny thought of her own mother, would she have done such a selfish thing to save her? The thought made her sick. This goat man came to my village, she said. He took my friend. Now he's taken someone else from me. This night, she's just a little girl. Danju's mother exclaimed, now noticing Asha was missing. Then she's a monster now, the man like a chief said. No. The force in Abeni's yell surprised even her. Naomi touched her shoulder gingerly, likely to ease her trembling. We know how to free them. She pointed to the dark red stone Damju's mother still held. Remove that, and they're no longer monsters. Together, we can get your children back. We can get my friends back. We can end this. The whole village went silent. Every eye on the red stone. Some faces even held hope, a thing she hadn't seen since entering through their walls. How do you propose that? The man like a chief asked. Are we to snatch these stones from our children's necks? Do you think they will just give them to us? Do we go into battle against them led by three girls? The goat man wields strong magic. What magic do you have? He shook his head when she didn't answer. The hope on some faces dried up like a scorched river. We asked you to leave before, but you stayed. Now your friend is lost to you. Go now before you lose yourselves. With that, he turned to go. Several of the villagers went with him. Abeni stared after him. The man's words stinging like a blow. He won't give them back to you, she called out. No matter how you serve him, the goat man won't give you back your children. He'll keep them forever. The man stopped, as did those who walked with him. For a moment, his shoulders slumped before they lifted again, going stiff. He turned and looked back along with the others. From their weary gazes, Abeni realized they already feared as much. They just didn't want to face it. Enough, the man said in a stern voice. Go away now. Please, go away. He turned again, and even more people followed, going back to their homes. A few lingered like they might speak, but in the end, only Damju's mother remained. She walked up and offered back the red stone to Abeni. The goat man will be hard on us today. After what you did last night, she spoke like someone resigned to her fate. But I will look for your friend. Wait for me, and I will bring what news I can. Kissing her daughter, she turned to go. Her eyes remained on Songu for a moment before leaving them to stand alone in the emptied streets. We should go, Zania said. No, Abeni shook her head. They have to help us. We need them. They will not, the panther girl said. Frustrated, Abeni turned to Nana Songu. What about him? Where's his family? Won't they at least come to take him back? The scent of fear clings to these mortals, Ania said. It has left them broken in mind and spirit. 
Let us not be here when their children come for them. She turned to go, and the others followed. After a while, Abeni joined them, walking in silence from the now quiet village. They had gotten just a short way from Damju's cave when she stopped. It's my fault, she whispered. Her eyes looked up to meet Zania's orange gaze. You were right. I thought if I found these missing children, I could find my friends too, but all I did was put everyone in danger, and now Asha is... There was a tightness in her throat. I'm supposed to be her guardian. You were foolish to run off, Zania agreed. Headstrong and rash, so much like a mortal. You made choices for us without asking first. That was wrong. Abeni flinched, feeling each charge like a blow. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. No, you shouldn't have, Zania snapped. Then her voice went surprisingly calm. But you are also right. Abeni's head whipped up. We spirits are here to keep the balance of the world, Zania continued. This goat man upsets that balance. He leaves a spirit and the valley she protects blighted. He steals children, turning them into monsters who harm their families. Not even mortals deserve such an evil. You saw that imbalance better than the rest of us. And you found the children, Damju put in. She stepped forward with Songu in hand. You freed him. You showed us how. But Asha's still gone, Abeni said. What if she's been turned into? She couldn't bring herself to finish. No, Zania assured. His magic will not work on our kind. Abeni hoped that was true. She needed to believe it. She drew a breath before speaking. I'm going back for her. I'm going back for all the children. So, the villagers actually knew that the monsters were their very own children. And that is the wicked genius of a being such as the witch priest and the goat man, his peon. No, I'll just, it's the witch priest. This is the witch priest's design. Um, Because if you use a people who actually love their children and their families the way indigenous people around the world actually love their children you make it almost impossible for them to fight against you because if they fight against you they fight against their own children oh my gosh as deep it makes me remember back in my day, and I'm going. To, I'm going to share a personal story here. Um, I grew up in New York City, and I was very young. I was there before there was this thing called crack. Crack devastated 
black and brown communities all over America. And when it was revealed that (laughs) crack was flooded into specific communities, inner city black and brown communities on purpose, there was like a literally, literally, you can look it up, you can Google it, Google, Google Oliver North's trial. Oliver North was, um, well, just Google it. And um, also, what was the woman? I forgot her name. Let me see if I can look it up now. But um, it was revealed that crack was put in certain communities on purpose. So now we see the music that was, um, no, I can't look it up right now, shoot, but now we see, we, you hear about crack, the crack era, and all of the things that go with it, it's just not that one piece of rock, (laughs) it's just not that stone, it's everything that goes with it. All of the things that are sung about in the wish songs. I'm old enough to remember hip hop and rap when it was literally about uplifting the black community. They're called conscious rappers. But everything changed when the song changed, when the music changed, when crack was celebrated, when going to jail was celebrated, when being gangster was celebrated. And now there's this thing called trap. Trap music, trapping minds, bodies, and spirits into just unwellness, mental, physical, spiritual, financial, social unwellness. It reminds me of the type of spiritual warfare I'm reading about in this book. Unfortunately, the adults in the big village of America knew, a lot of adults knew. I mean, there was a whole uh, trial and nobody was ever convicted. Even, Even the series Snowfall um was about that and it focused on you know the children of night and what they were doing with this crack era money and mindset against themselves against each other against their neighbors it's 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 wild but it's a reality that not too many people are willing to face because what do you do when you face it? How do you fight something that big? You focus on your own wellness. You focus on the wellness of the pieces of your culture that you can tap into that are well. Focus on well-being every day. Mm. I give thanks that 
I didn't get directly touched by drug use. Um, But it did touch me indirectly because it was all around me, so I'm not unaffected by it. But I give thanks that I did not get caught up in the trap of drug using, selling, living, none of that. I give thanks for that because it was all around me. But it just wasn't something that I was interested in in being a part of. But still, it affects me because it affects the world around me. Oh, my gosh. Back to the book, though. I knew Abini, Abani was going to still push forward. Um, it would have been nice if the villagers could muster up the courage to join and help. But they were beaten down so bad. And Abani had been um, aware of this for a year now, a little over a year. We don't know how long that these villagers have been going through what they're going through now. Probably about a year or so, but that's long enough. You get beat down for a year. It's very traumatic what's going on. So it would be nice again if they would, you know, muster up the courage to, to, to try to fight. Seeing that she had an actual success in front of them, she brought them back one of their own children, Songu, but... That wasn't enough to change their minds at this point. But she's moving forward. Let's see what happens. Okay, so I was able to find the information I was looking for. And specifically, it's the Iran-Contra affair, where... I'll let you look it up for yourself. Whatever you find is what you find. Um, But it was proven that Oliver North was a key figure in diverting funding. And it was during the Reagan administration. And it was during the time period uh, for almost the entire 80s and on through the most... uh, a good period of the 90s. He was, I guess, indicted. I don't know if he was convicted, but I do know George Bush um, freed or, or dismissed the charges or whatever, even though it was proven. It was like a whole thing. Um, but if you look up Oliver North now, what you'll hear about him or read about him is this. Oliver Lawrence North is an American political commentator. Is because he's still alive right now. He's 80 years old. Uh, An American political commentator, a television host, a military historian, an author, and retired United States Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel. A veteran of none other than the Vietnam War. (laughs) How about that? North was a National Security Council staff member during the Iran-Contra affair, a political scandal of the late 1980s. A political scandal? Hmm. So if you Google that and you see all of the fallout, or if you've lived in the communities affected by that political that particular political scandal 
you've seen the effects of it. Many of you have felt the effects of it, lived the effects of it. It was serious. So for Abeni and those villagers and the children who were turned into monsters and the people who are caused, the others who are all caught up in this trap, the witch priest's trap, the witch priest's agenda, gotta be careful out there if you who during the crack era thankfully again I give thanks it's, 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 it's my intuition it's my spirit I, I wasn't about smoking I wasn't about drinking I definitely wasn't about drugs so that saved my life young people if you have an intuition about you even if everybody else around you is doing it, even if that's all you see in the hip-hop videos and you see social media influencers, they're buying all this. Why do you need a half a million dollar car? Why do your shoes need to be $5,000? Why? Why do you need to be popping pills and drinking alcohol and having sex with any and everybody? Any and everybody can touch your body. That's damaging to your well-being. Take your well-being seriously. Fight for it. It's your, your well-being is your right. Don't let anybody take your well-being away from you. Do your best to stay well. Anyway... Back to chapter 18. Um, Damju. My mind goes to Damju. Because even though people would have considered her less than or cripple or just she's different than everybody else because she couldn't see the way they did, guess what? That saved her. And now she's not caught up in the trap. And now she's well enough to help Abeni and the spirits and her mom fight for the rest of her friends and her family and her village and her people and others who are affected by this trap mentality. So shout out to Damju. I'm going back for all the children. She had already known she would. The scrying pot, after all, had said as much about the children of night. To free them, you must seek them. Her mind, however, tried not to think on the other part, but in finding them, you risk losing yourself. What that meant, she still didn't know, but she wouldn't give up. She was surprised again to find Zania the first to nod. I will join you. I will not leave Asha in the hands of this goat man. Nor will I leave these lost children to darkness or allow this foul magic to spread. I'm coming too, Damju piped in. Those are my brothers, my friends who've been stolen away. You shouldn't have left me last time. But you're, Abeni began. The short girl put fists to her hips. I'm what? A person who sees different than you? Is that supposed to make me helpless? Her gaze swept over them all. Has it occurred to any of you that I managed 
to live out here by myself before you came along. That I've been able to evade monsters and the goat man better than you have. Abeni closed her mouth at that. She had a point. Damju sniffed. Besides, my mother works with roots and plants. I've learned a few things that can help us. She patted the leather pouch at her side. Abeni remembered the girl's sneezing powder. You're right, she said. I'm sorry. The only way we're going to do this is together. That means all of us. There was a slight squeak, and everyone turned to Naomi, who had listened quietly until now. Her large black eyes quivered, and her quill seemed to droop. I don't want to go back there, the porcupine girl whimpered. Every part of me says I should run away. I tried before, but I couldn't. She put on a sheepish look. I never really left, you know. I just vanished and kept my distance. I even followed you last night to the pit, but I was too scared to go after you, so I came back and told Asha. If she hadn't pleaded with me, I don't know that I would have jumped back to get you. But you did, Abeni pointed out. Maybe you're braver than you think. Oh, I'm decidedly not, the porcupine girl said indignantly. Indignantly. Porcupine spirits aren't brave and have sense enough to know it. We're quite proud of being cowards. It's how we've survived for so long. As my uncle taught me, when you're scared, run away. She ignored Zania's snort and let out a long sigh. But... I'll still come with you, not because I'm brave, but because you and Asha are my friends, and friends help each other even when they're scared. Abeni blinked in surprise. Friends. She had been looking for her lost friends for so long, but somewhere along the way, these spirit girls had become her friends too. Something about that made her feel good, despite everything else. We will need a plan, Zania said. Abeni nodded. She lifted up the red stone. It seemed a good place to start. Her eyes went to Songu, who had yet said nothing. Do you know anything about it? She asked, lifting the stone towards him. But he shrank away, covering his face with his hand and not answering. I don't think he knows any more than we do, Damju said. Zania hissed. It is dark magic. Only a sorcerer or a witch could speak on it. Asha might know, Abeni murmured. I wish she was here. I wish I could talk to her. A sudden thought sent her eyes wide. She could talk to Asha. How could she have forgotten? I need to sleep, she exclaimed. Naomi frowned. You mortals tire very quickly. No, I mean, I need to sleep to visit Asha. At their confused looks, she explained about the dreams she and the girl often shared. A dreamwalker, Naomi gasped. I have a cousin who can do that. You think you can find the small spirit in a dream, Zania asked. Abani nodded. She often finds me, but I need to sleep first. I can help you go to sleep, Damju offered. The black root you used before, Abeni asked. Too strong, the girl said, already rifling through her pouch. You'll sleep half the day, but 
I can make you a tea with a little less kick. Come, let's go inside. Back in the cave, the girl took some brown leaves out of her pouch and began grinding them in a small wooden bowl with a round stone. When she was done, she sprinkled the bits into some water in a clay pot and struck up a fire. As the tea heated, she stirred it and put in a few green and red leaves. Abeni watched her work. How can you tell which leaves you're searching for? By how they feel, Damju answered. Or smell, she added. Or smell. She added a vial of dark liquid. Can you feel or smell better because you can't see? I mean, can't see like me. Damju leaned in to sniff the boiling pot. I don't think so. I'm just good at it because I do it more. Ah, it's ready. She poured the concoction into a cup, making sure to strain out all the leaves and bits, then handed it over. Drink all of it. Abeni took a sip and almost gagged at the bitterness. This had less kick? Holding her nose, she drank it all down and grimaced. How do you feel, Damju asked. Fine, she answered, stifling a, a yawn. How long before? Abeni didn't finish the sentence. It seemed she blinked, and when her eyes opened again, she was in Asha's garden. Standing, she looked about. It was a bright day, and the green stalks swayed back and forth, whispering as usual. The dream was as she remembered, but there was no Asha. Maybe the, the little girl had to fall asleep first. A tap at her shoulder made her spin around to look up at a blank straw face. Oh, B, she exclaimed. Have you seen Asha? The straw man nodded, turning into the garden and beckoning for her to follow. Abeni sprang after him. The green stalks grew higher as they went and thicker. Soon, they were surrounded on all sides so that not even sunlight entered. She'd never seen any place in the garden like this before. Even the whispering stalks had gone silent. Finally, Obi stopped and pushed aside a curtain of green to reveal a surprising sight. It was the pit. It was still night here. The monsters had gone back to sleep, sprawled out like before. The giant statue of the witch priest remained standing, his face hidden behind iron and flame. But the rocky mound where the goatman had stood was empty except for one figure. Asha! Abeni ran to the girl, past the sleeping monsters which never stirred, reaching the mound. She climbed to the top, where a rounded cage of iron sat. Asha lay curled up inside, her long locks twisted about her. The sight made Abeni sad and angry at once. Asha! Can you hear me? Asha! The girl slowly opened her eyes. Rainbringer, she said in greeting, sitting up with a smile. Abeni smiled back, reaching her hands inside the cage. The two of them grasped fingers and held tight. I couldn't meet in the garden, the girl said, so I asked Obi to bring you here. Oh, Asha, are you hurt? Are you all right? Not hurt. I'm glad you got away. Abeni felt a stab of guilt. I shouldn't have gone off like that. I'm sorry. Asha didn't say anything, biting her lip and lowering her head. What is it? 
I, the girl began, I didn't know if you'd come back for me. Urbani started in shock. Of course I would. Why would you think that? Because you're mad at me. Mad at you? Is this because of the other night? Asha, that was the wish song. It made me say those things. I know, Asha said. But you're still mad at me for what happened to your village, for me becoming like this. She looked down and her voice became a whisper. I know you only came to find my sister, so you wouldn't have to take care of me anymore. And you could leave to find your friends, the ghost ships and your family. I've always known. I thought now that I was gone, you could just go. Abani opened her mouth to deny those things, to tell the girl she was wrong. But she couldn't. Not anymore. No more secrets. Her voice came choked. You keep things from me, Asha. You kept secrets from me when you were an old woman, not telling me you were really a spirit or that you needed a guardian. I don't think you've really told me why the witch priest came after you, why the shadow thing was searching for you and found my village instead, why he's still after you. I'm not angry with you, Asha, but I don't like the secrets you keep. Asha looked at her for a long moment. A calm came over her face and she nodded. When she spoke, her voice was strong and clear. Then I'll tell you what parts I remember. I'm a very old spirit, Abeni. Old enough to remember when the world was not at all like it is now. And there were only a few of us. No panther spirits or porcupine spirits, certainly no people. Everything was new. We spent our time discovering and exploring all there was to see. We didn't notice at first when the others arrived. The spirits of rivers and hills and things that live and grow, all children to us. Then there were people. We were curious. We came to see. Many of us stayed among you, but not all. Is that how you came to be the guardian of my village? Abeni asked. In a way, Asha said, but I think I have been the guardian of many, many villages before your own. As I've said, I can't recall it all. The memories are blurry, but I do know that some of my brothers and sisters didn't like the change. The world was now too crowded, they thought. We'd been alone for so long, it seemed like all of you were everywhere all at once. And there were so many of you, all different kinds of you. She shook, she shook her head in wonder, as if still fascinated by the memory. Some who didn't like this new world went away to live in dark forests, on high mountains, or even at the bottom of the sea anywhere to be left alone. They became much like the places they escaped to, distant and unmoving. 
No one has spoken to them since, and they do not speak at all. One, however, wasn't willing to just go his own way. He wanted the old world back, the one we'd had to ourselves. He spoke of making war on the younger spirits and mortals, of driving them away. Most of us refused, but a few listened. With their help, he worked to convince the younger spirits to abandon people and people to abandon them. Abeni had heard that last part before. Wait, this spirit, who is he? He has many names, Asha replied. His most recent title is the witch priest. Abeni could scarcely believe it. The witch priest. <laughs> he was a spirit. But I thought he was a person, she stammered. A man? Asha pursed her lips sourly. My brother's very good at veiling himself in lies and making himself be seen as he wishes. That's how he gets others to follow him. Even now he has mortals and all manner of creatures fighting each other in his great war. None of them realize that in the end, he just wants the world to burn so there'll be nothing left. He thinks that way it can be like it was before. You told me once that the witch priest, your brother, Abeni stumbled over those words, you said he wanted you to join him. Why? I'm one of the last of the older spirits. He hasn't turned to his side or imprisoned or worse. I think he believes I could hurt him. Abeni's eyes grew at that. Can you? Asha's face clouded over in thought. I'm not sure. At least I don't see how. I'm no longer the spirit I once was, she paused. I'm sorry I kept secrets from you, Abeni. I thought no one would want me around if they knew. And I don't want to be alone. Abeni was taken by the fright in the girl's voice. Tutuo had told her as much. That spirits felt with their whole being and were often just who they appeared to be. She wasn't looking at some elder spirit. She was looking at a little girl thrown into the world before she was ready, much like herself. Asha, look at me. The girl gazed up with sad, dark eyes and a bainy tightened her grip on her fingers. I won't leave you, not ever. Do you understand? Asha nodded slowly. Just promise me, no more secrets. I promise, the girl said. Good. Now, tell me how to get you out of here. She ran hands across the cage, searching for an entrance. It's sealed by magic, Asha said. You won't find a way to open it. Naomi, she could jump in and... Asha shook her head. Then she would be trapped in here, too. Abeni banged her hands against the cage in frustration. We're coming back for you. We're going to get you out of here. I'm not the only one imprisoned, Asha replied. You have to free the others. 
the missing children. You know then? They're the monsters. Asha nodded. I didn't see it at first, but when I sang to them, I understood. They've been hurt so much. Can I see what you're holding? Abeni looked down in surprise to find the red stone clasped in her hand, still warm and pulsing. She handed it through the cage to Asha, who cradled it between her small palms, inspecting it closely before speaking. A bloodstone, she said, made from the same shiny rocks the villagers search for. The goat man has placed a drop of blood inside. Why blood, Abeni asked, appalled. Mortal blood is rich with spirit, and it is the spirit of the children he traps inside. A child's spirit is still quite innocent and thus very strong. Only powerful, dark magic could trap it. Still, this bloodstone can only hold a part. Something larger is needed to hold them all. She turned to look up at the statue of the witch priest that towered in the night and to the great crimson gemstone nestled in its lap. It's a bloodstone, Abeni realized. I heard voices inside it of crying children. Asha nodded sadly, an entire village of children crying. Abeni stared at the giant gemstone in revulsion. What had this goat man done? My sister made herself a part of this valley, Asha said, tying herself to the people in it. When the goat man took the children away, he also took much of her power. I think that's how he's been able to, at times, walk in the dreams of children. Be thankful he doesn't understand how to fully use that talent and so must rely on his horn. Destroy that great bloodstone, however, and you can break his magic. Free all these children from his curse. She went suddenly stiff. You have to go now. I've kept you too long. I told you he knows how to walk the dreams too. He's coming. Abeni stared. Who's coming? Before she could ask, a dark shape reared up before her. She jumped back, finding herself staring at burning eyes beneath a mask of horns. The goat man. He snarled like some angry beast, and a monstrous hand reached out, grabbing her arm tight. She gasped in pain as he squeezed hard, and she thought he might crush it in his grip. A cry was set to leave her lips when someone grabbed her from behind. There was a strong heave, and the monstrous hand released its grip as she tumbled back amid tall green stalks. Abeni sat up, taking deep breaths. She looked down to find she was lying atop Obi. The straw man had pulled her free, and they had returned to the garden. Thank you. She hugged him tight. It felt good. I miss you. The straw man hugged her back. I made some new friends out there. You'd like them. They're going to help me free Asha and rescue the children. I'm going to get them all back, Obi. I promise. So Asha is truly, truly, truly an old spirit. 
that's why when Zania and Naomi catch eyes with her, they feel what they feel about her. They know she's older than anything they even were ever aware of. Wow. And the witch priest, that explains why he's able to do what he does to mortals to encourage them to separate from their spirits because he's a powerful spirit, more powerful than, say, the smaller spirits like Naomi and um, Zania. Wow. But Asha is on his level. And so he's intimidated by her. And he doesn't know probably how to fully destroy her but if he captures her and keeps her away from where she can help others that's helping him and if he can convince her to bring her light to his darkness he would be completely unstoppable give thanks for the light bringers who stay committed to the light until next chapter